0: message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. When Emerson, our oldest, was born, things kind of started off normal. Uh, Aaron and I found ourselves in the hospital uh, like six o'clock at night or so. Uh, we, We go to the hospital and Everything's good? Okay, you're going to have this kid. Pregnancy? Hadn't been a problem for me anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> so we're in the hospital, and, and of course they get, get Aaron up to the room, and, and you know everything's going smoothly, doctors are in, nurses are in, all these people are in, right? because you always need like 40 people in your room for some reason. But all these people are in, and they're like, you know, it looks, looks good. And the nurses looked, and they're like, you're going to have this baby by tomorrow morning. This baby's going to come in the morning. We're like... Okay. Morning comes and goes, and there's no baby. Like you know, by noon you're gonna have this baby. Well, noon comes and goes, and there's no baby. Well, by, by dinner time, this this baby's ready to come. So, so dinner time comes and goes. Well, I should be here before midnight. Well, midnight comes and goes. And then 34 hours later, (laughs) we had Emerson. I say we. You know what I mean. (laughs) After 34 hours, Emerson came along. Now, if you have given birth, you know there are some techniques to manage the pain of childbirth. You know, there are ways to kind of coax labor along, but you also know that at the end of the day, that baby comes when that baby comes. You don't really have much of a say in it. The baby's coming when the baby comes. In our lives of faith, every single one of us is called to a mission and a purpose, and we're all called to different missions, different purposes in our lives. Right, you and I each have a mix of callings as, uh, to, to serve the Lord and serve his kingdom as a, as a spouse, as a, a parent, as a, a grandparent, as a sibling, as a friend, as a helper, a counselor, a teacher, a coach, a mentor, whatever that may be. But here's the thing. Whatever your calling is, however God has called you into service for his kingdom, God never calls you to do that work by your own power or find success of your own making. God never calls you to say, and here's what I'm going to do. It's going to start here, it's going to end here, and then I'm done, and that will be good. In fact, if that's the way you set up your life of service to Christ, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to fail. Because instead of saying, you get to decide when you start, when you finish, you get to decide what's enough. You get to decide what is success and what is failure. God instead promises each and every one of us success, but on his terms. He promises to provide success where, how, and when he declares it. Okay, so the question then for us today as we look at this passage is how do we, how do you and I assess the success of whatever mission God has called us to? However God has called you in your life to serve Jesus Christ and to serve the kingdom, how is it that we assess success? Today's passage in Genesis 35, is going to really wrap up Jacob's central role in the story of Israel. Through the conclusion of his calling, we're going to see how his success is only found by understanding God's sovereignty over the mission at hand. First, we're going to see, like Jacob, how our mission is complete by God's blessing. Our mission is complete by God's blessing. Let's look at verses 16 through 20 of Genesis 35. It says, they set out from Bethel. Well, who, who is they? That's Jacob and his family. They set out from Bethel. When they were still some, dis- some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth, and her labor was difficult. During her difficult labor, the midwife said to her, Don't be afraid, for you have another son. With her last breath, for she was dying, she called him Benani, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Jacob set up a marker on her grave. It is the marker at Rachel's grave still today. Our mission is complete by God's blessing. The story takes place after last week we saw that Jacob was called to fulfill the vow that he had made when he left his father's house to head up to Paden Aram. He vowed he would return to Bethel to worship. So last week we saw that God called him to come fulfill this vow. And so he goes to Bethel and he worships. And now these next verses, verses 16 through 20, center on the birth of his last son, Benjamin. What happened here is that that Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, had become pregnant, and God was giving her a son, She was giving birth to a son. This was a fulfillment of her prayer, her request to the Lord all the way back when we saw Genesis chapter 30, verse uh, 22 through 24, where it said, then then God remembered Rachel. And and this remembered Rachel, we remember in, in chapter 30 of Genesis, there was kind of a race between Rachel and Leah to give Jacob the sons that he wanted And they were kind of back and forth and one would have a son and maybe two and then God would bless the other one and they got their their servants involved and it was a whole mess. But as, as Rachel gives birth to Joseph, it says, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and she said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add another son to me. And so now, at this time, God answers that prayer with the affirmative. And she gives birth to a son. With the birth of the son, things don't go well. And Rachel dies. But with her dying breath, she names the son Benoni. Benoni means son of my sorrow. Anybody gonna name their next son? Suggesting your your children name their your next grandchild Ben and I, son of my sorrow. What a great encouraging name, right? Son of my sorrow. But Jacob doesn't let that stand. Jacob instead calls the son Benjamin, which means son of my right hand the right hand that he's talking about here is Rachel. Rachel, his beloved wife. This is the wife he loves. His right hand. And he doesn't want Ben's name to constantly be carried around by his son as this marker of, of sorrow, of brokenness, of the death of his mother. Right, if you know your names, your, your mother died in childbirth and named you son of my sorrow, that's a tough thing to carry around through your life, isn't it? I am the son of my mother's sorrow. I am the cause of her death. So instead, Jacob says, no, 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 you will be son of my right hand. He doesn't want the name to drag his son down. Instead, it's a memorial to his love for Rachel. And the greater point being made in these verses is that with the birth of Jacob's last son, the son who is the son of his right hand, the son of Rachel, with the birth of Benjamin, the tribes of Israel are complete. Think about that for a second. What did God promise Jacob? that he would make him a great nation, that all the earth would be blessed through him, that God would expand his family. And now God says, okay, we're done with this phase. Your family is complete. Your sons are all here. Now we have the 12 tribes of Israel as we will come to know them. But this happens when God chooses to fulfill and to answer the the prayer of Rachel. This is not about Jacob's decision, I'm gonna have 12 kids and that's how God's gonna use my family. God's blessing of children is God's blessing. And the blessing is set to move forward when God completes the family and decides it's time to move forward Let me ask you this. How many times in your life have you felt ready for the next step, only to find that what you thought was ready was not ready at all? I talked about the the birth of Aaron. For most of us, with the birth of our first child, we had an experience like this. You're ready to have children. Yeah, we're going to have kids. It's going to be great. We're ready. And then three weeks after the birth of that beautiful child, when you haven't slept for 48 hours, and they haven't stopped crying for the last two weeks, you have that moment where you go, what in the world did we get ourselves into? Some of you are like, I didn't feel like that. I did. (laughs) There's that moment where you're like, holy cow. I I thought I was ready, but I wasn't ready for this. It happens in our lives, in many different areas. And it happens in our faith too. God's calling in your life and in my life is actually pretty simple. There's nothing too difficult about God's calling in our lives. God's calling in our lives is this, follow me. That's not too hard, is it? I mean, that's pretty simple, In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commands. You will follow me. You will do what I say. That's about as simple as it gets. But we don't always feel prepared for that, do we? We don't always know exactly what that means. We're not sure how to move forward. Okay, so what? What's that mean for us this morning? What's the lesson for you and I to take from this? Well, it's this. It's the reality that God alone decides what you and I are ready for and when you and I are ready for it. Because the things that we think we're ready for, we very oftentimes are not ready for it. And the things we're sure we're not ready for, very oftentimes we are ready for it. Because we don't get to decide God decides what we're ready for and when we're ready for it. Sometimes this will come as a shock to us. Sometimes we're thrust into a a situation or opportunities where we just feel like we are completely in over our heads and we don't know how we got here and we don't understand what God expects from us in this place. If you've ever felt like that, you're in good company. Because we see this constantly in scripture, in in the book of Jeremiah, When Jeremiah is called to be a prophet of God, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me, and this is what God says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Verse 6, we get Jeremiah's response. God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, comes to him and says, Hey, before you were born, I started this work, and I have prepared you for this. Jeremiah's response. But I protested. Oh no, Lord God. Look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. He's probably in his late teens, early 20s. We don't get a clear picture in the book of Jeremiah how old he is, but it's not like he's an eight year old kid. (laughs) He's like, God, God, are you sure? Like, me? No. I think he got the wrong number. Call next door. He's not ready. He's lost in this calling. But if we are faithful to God's calling in our lives, if we are reliant completely on his strength, on his wisdom, then we recognize that he will provide for us when he sends us. He will protect us. He will sustain us if we will trust in him and follow him when he says we're ready, where he says we're ready, and what he calls us to. Sometimes that comes as a shock to us. And then there's other times in our lives where that will feel like an unnecessary delay. There will be times in your life, and I know there have been times in my life where I felt like I'm itching to go, where we have the answers, where we're smarter, we're better prepared. And then God looks at us and says, not now, not here, not this. And in that one, in that situation, it can feel heartbreaking, right? If you've been there, you understand how heartbreaking that can be. You're like, God, no, I was ready. I thought you told me this and you sent me here and you said this and then didn't happen. Like I was faithful. What are you doing? God's like, just hold on. Even in those moments, if we will remember the sovereignty and the purposeful nature of God's blessings in our lives, then we can trust the fact that he has a better plan for us than we have for ourselves. Even when we don't get it, even when we don't understand it, even when we we don't like it, our job is not to have all the answers. Our job is not to decide exactly what we think we should be doing, when we think we should be doing it, how we think we should be doing it. There's wisdom to be applied to God's calling, yes. But he decides when, where, and how. So what's the standard of our assessment for when we are ready? Is it our ideas? Is it our hopes? Is what we expect what we think should be? Or do we rest in the way that God is going to move? Are we listening for the ways God is going to speak? Are we prepared for where God is going to send us? God completes our mission. He sends us, He walks with us, and He fulfills that calling not by our expectations or our best ideas, but by his blessing. And so we see that our mission is complete by God's blessing. But we see too, as we continue with this story, that God's blessing is fulfilled in his grace. God's blessing is fulfilled in his grace. Let's look at verses 29, or 21 through 29, the rest of this this passage. And, and before we read it, just recognize that as we read through this, these verses feel like just a disjointed toss-up of information. If you just read this out of context, you feel like there's a bunch of different stuff happening, and none of it really relates to each other. But what we're going to see is there are, there are really three distinct ideas here, but they are all drawn together by one reality— By the reality that God's blessing is fulfilled in his grace and not our activity. Watch this, starting in verse 21. It says, Israel set out again. Israel, remember, is Jacob. Israel set out again and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And Israel heard about it. Jacob had 12 sons. Leah's sons were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn; Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. Rachel's sons were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's slaves Bilhah were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's slaves of Leah's slave Zilpah were Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre in Cariath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abram and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. He took his last breath and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. His sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Okay, so again, kind of a like toss-up of random information seemingly. But three distinct sections. First, verses 21 through the first half of 22 shows us Reuben's sin. We get Reuben's sin, this disdainful action with Jacob's uh, concubine. And when we read this, we're tempted to see this as as a sexual sin, but that's not really what's going on here. The true heart of this sin, the heart of the struggle in these two verses, is an issue of authority. It's an issue of authority, Reuben is attempting through this act to assert himself as the ruler of the family over Jacob. This is a common power play in the ancient world. In fact, we see it even in in 2 Samuel chapter 16 when Absalom chases his father David out of the kingdom. Absalom chases him out and comes in and takes his place and then he starts meeting with advisors and he says, well, what do we do? And Ahithophel says, sleep with your father's concubines whom he left to take care of the palace. When all of Israel hears that you have become repulsive to your father, everyone with you will be encouraged. And so Absalom follows through with this. Why does he do it? He does it to assert his authority over his father. David's no longer king. I'm the guy in charge. Look at what I can do. And this is what Reuben does here. This is Reuben's sin. He's asserting his authority, his timeline. His rule. Then you get to the second half of verse 22 through verse 26, and we get this list of Jacob's sons. And we remember these are the sons that God has allowed Jacob to have. There were struggles in, in pregnancy for both of his wives, but God brings the right children at the right time. God's blessing is these sons. And then we look at verse 27 through 29. And these tell of of Jacob's last visit to his father for the death of Isaac. Isaac dies at the age of 180. And he's buried by who? By his two recently reconciled sons, Jacob and Esau. Okay, so what is it that binds these three weird sections together? What binds them together is how God's grace is poured out on sinful men. God's grace is poured out on sinful men. Look at Reuben. Reuben sins against Jacob. This is a sin that if you go into the book of Leviticus, go to Leviticus chapter 20, and you'll see that this sin is punishable by death. Reuben should be put to to death for his sin. And yet, God allows him to continue to be a part of the nation of Israel. His name will be carried on as a tribe. Not because he's a good guy, not because he's a great son, but because of God's grace. Look at Jacob. Remember everything we've heard about Jacob? He's deceitful, he's selfish, he fails to trust God, he's slow to obey the Lord at times. But God blesses him with 12 sons through whom he's gonna bless the entire world. He doesn't do that because Jacob's a great father. He doesn't do it because Jacob follows every single word God says. He does it because God is gracious. And God's gonna use this broken, fallen, frail man to carry out his glory in the world. Look at the life of Isaac. Isaac also failed to trust the Lord. He showed favoritism to one of his sons over the other. He didn't properly discipline his deceitful son, Jacob. And still he was blessed to live a life full of days, as verse 29 says it. And at the end of that life, at the end of that life, he saw his two sons reconciled. which of these men was sinless? Which of these men was worthy of God's blessing? Which one deserved to be used by a holy, perfect, sovereign, almighty God? None of them. And yet God's grace is displayed through their lives. God's grace is displayed through the lives in a way that even today we get to sit here and we get to look at their story and we get to see God's grace at work. I usually try to only give you one story of, of Aaron a week. But I'm g- gonna give you a second one. Um, Aaron and I joke all the time that uh, we we went to the same small college at the same time right after high school, uh, Greenville College. It's like when we were there, it was like 800 students or something like that. Like you knew everybody, you knew everybody on campus. Maybe you weren't friends, but you knew every single person. Aaron and I were there at the same time, never met, never saw each other, didn't even know each other existed. How does that work? I have no idea. We had mutual friends. We, I mean, the campus is super small. You're always at the same. Place all the time. Somehow, we never met. We didn't meet for another 11 years after that. But we always talk, and we remember that had we met in college, our relationship would have been a disaster. There is no way College Aaron and College Jonathan would have made it. <laughs> And God knew that. God knew we weren't ready then. It took 11 years for us to be ready. And we thank the good Lord every day that he gave us those 11 years for him to work, to mold us, to shape us, to bring us to where we needed to be to allow us to come together when he had shaped us so that we could be the healthiest we could be in our faith and in our family and in our ministry. Because if we'd gotten really what we wanted at 19 years old or whatever it was, man, it would have been bad. You and I, every single one of us, We are broken, we are flawed, we are imperfect. And every single one of us has sinned. And if every single one of us is blessed to draw breath for the next hour of our lives, we will probably sin again. We will probably have some judgmental thought, give some dirty look, roll our eyes, say an unkind word, make a self-righteous assessment, or commit one of a million other sins. See, the fact is, you and I will never be perfect. You and I will never nail the Christian life. Even the apostle Paul knew that. Philippians chapter three, verse 12, he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. All right, Paul, again, if we're gonna look at somebody and go, hey, who should our example be other than Jesus? Right? Paul is probably a great person to model our lives after when you see what he did and what God did in him and what God did through him. But even he says, guys, I, I, I don't have it figured out. He says, I strain, I try, I work to be faithful. He's like, but I don't, I don't have it nailed down. You and I will never have it nailed down perfectly. And if you ever find somebody who tells you they do, run from them. Now, I'm not even joking. You find somebody who tells you they are perfect and they got the Christian life figured out, and nailed down, run and do not listen to a word they say. Because not a single one of us will ever be there. But our joy, right? Our joy is knowing that our God knows exactly who we are. Our God knows who we are. He knows how far from perfect our best truly is. (laughs) and then he makes it so that his grace is not contingent upon our perfection. God says, my grace doesn't need you to be perfect in order for me to give you my grace. Ephesians 1, verse seven and eight says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Here's what I want you to hear in that. He says, the forgiveness of our sins, our redemption is poured out through God's grace. Okay, if you've already gotten everything perfect, do you need God's grace poured out on you? No, because you're perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect in order for him to love us and give us his grace. God says, I will shower my grace upon you. I will pour it out on you. Not because you're perfect, but because you love me and you serve me, and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. While we should have a great disdain for our sin, we should never grow comfortable with it. We should never be okay with it. We should seek in our lives to eject it from our walk. While we should have a great disdain for our sin, that sin should still remind us of the magnitude of the glory of God's grace and God's forgiveness. Because why did Jesus why did God send Jesus? Why did He send His Son into this world? Not because people had it nailed and figured out and they were doing great on their own. God says, No, you are you are broken, you are fall, you are fallen, you are flawed, you are wrapped in your sin, and there is no way you can. Bring forgiveness to yourselves. There's no way you can earn it. There's no way you can buy yourself back. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, meaning he takes our place, pays the penalty for our sin, so that he could rise victoriously and deliver us completely. Again, if we can be perfect on our own, do we need deliverance? Nope. Jesus didn't come to let us know that we can figure it out. He came to save, to redeem. Listen, do we celebrate God's grace in our lives? Do we celebrate God's grace in our lives? because if we don't, if grace is one of those things out there, like I'm doing fine on my own, I hope I don't mess up so bad that I need grace. If that's our approach to Jesus Christ, then understand we will never know the fullness of his blessing. Because we will never be able to comprehend what blessing is. We will never grasp God's blessing. But when we celebrate God's grace, when we reflect upon how he has lavished it on us while we are so grossly unworthy of it, for no other reason than because he loves us, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is, then we begin to see, we begin to understand every single blessing God has given us. Even the breath we draw into our lungs, we realize is a blessing I don't deserve this breath. I don't deserve this breath. And I don't deserve this breath. That is a blessing by the grace of a good, holy, perfect God who needs nothing from me and yet gives me everything. in the grand scheme of things. Every single one of us in this room has the exact same mission. That mission is to make disciples, teaching them to obey the commands of God. Matthew 28, 19, 20. That means showing and sharing the gospel with those who have not yet submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it means to be an example and an encouragement toward the growth and maturity of faith in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our mission. Now, how each and every one of you and how I am called to do that, that's unique to each and every one of us. We have the same big mission, but our calling on how God has created us, equipped us, called us to do that is different. And again, that specific mission to which God has called you will never be completed, will never be successful by applying our best efforts or our best commitments or the greatest skills that we think we have or because of anything else that you and I bring to the table. All those things are important, okay? Don't hear me saying we don't need to try to, to develop skills and, and, and thought processes and make commitments. That's not what I'm saying. Those things are important and we should give our very best to the kingdom of God. But our mission the calling he has given you and me can only be completed by God's blessing, never by our efforts. It is his power, his strength, his intervention that brings success, that brings completion, that brings fulfillment. And that blessing of God is only fulfilled in his grace. It has nothing to do with us. We are simply the tools that God uses to display his love, his grace, and his mercy to the world. Church family, may we be a people of mission and calling and purpose. Let us not forget that we were never meant to find salvation in Jesus and then sit on the sidelines. We were called to a mission and a purpose, a calling. But may we also always remember that we cannot earn, attain, or achieve success in this mission by our own powers. Instead, we trust the Lord, submitting to God, resting in Jesus' finished work, and relying on the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. And by this, we will know Jesus Christ, and we will make him known. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, thank you for the blessing of your love and your grace and your mercy. We're so thankful that you have called us into the purposes of your kingdom. And we recognize that 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 big picture is pretty simple. To follow your commands, to love you, serve you, to know Jesus Christ and make him known. we also know that every single one of us has a unique calling. And Lord, it's easy for us to get lost in the the day-to-day busyness and miss that calling. And it's also easy for us to get lost recognizing what you have called us to do and then get focused on, well, this is what I have to do, and this is where I have to be, and this is me, and this is me, and this is me, and if people would just do what I said or listen to me or whatever it is, God, we can lose ourselves in that mission and make it about us, but it is never about us. If we're going to finish this calling that you have started in our lives, if we're going to finish this mission, Lord, it is only going to be because we give ourselves fully and completely to you. To the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit, to give ourselves fully and completely, but to know that at the end of the day, it is all you. And so, Lord, give us strength this week, give us wisdom, give us those reminders. And while we love you and we serve you, we do so under your authority under your provision, under your protection, under your blessing, by your grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. We proclaim your name to the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.